Hey, Kai Wagner, you're tuned into the Union Soccer Podcast. My name is John Jansen. You can follow me at jjansen34. Joining me, as always, on the program, star of the show, and running things over there at the unionsoccerblog.substack.com. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. It is Joe Tanzi at jtanzi90 on Twitter. Hey, Kai Wagner seems to be the running theme. We saw even fans in the River End section chanting that, I think, in the 27th minute for Kai Wagner. So, Joe, we can go over the Nashville game, and I think that's part of we can put this in the conversation of Kai Wagner. But I think right now sort of the biggest thing is the Union head towards the playoffs, and we are one game, uh, you know, one week away and one more game left in the season for decision day. Uh, For the Union, it seems to all be about Kai Wagner, their star left back. Right, and I think this is, first of all, um, we're treating this basically like we would our old post-game shows because uh, the conversation, I feel like, is a lot more fluid and it's better with two people than me just writing down my thoughts in this game. <laughs> and and like Because and, there, there was one prevailing thought, we'll get to it in a second, of like what that Nashville game represented, the, like the entire scene inside Subaru Park. And it, it's just so much better. So I know I've been doing these breakdowns in the inbox on Sunday morning, but the podcast, I think for this specific breakdown is going to be so much more better to kind of have that conversation, but also like understand like everything that goes into this. And I'll start by saying this, my biggest takeaway and probably my only takeaway from the union's draw with Nashville is, and it's funny because it's juxtaposed to the, pay Kai Wagner chance in the union's current structure, their current spending structure, the Nashville game gave them perfect justification not to pay Kai Wagner. And I know that's kind of like a, what the hell are you talking about? statement to make. So the union are one point away from their second highest point total in MLS behind last year. An incredible achievement. They're at 55 points. But it feels like the the ability to take the next step to MLS Cup, the ability to contend for anything over the next month and a half, it, it just feels so drastically different than last year. And if you watch the Nashville game, there's one big thing that that's missing from that entire game. And that's an, an impact off the bench at Ford or just an impact alone at Ford. The defense played phenomenal. Damian Lowe had arguably his best game yep. in a union shirt. And he admitted after the game, he went through a dip in form and he was motivated by that to get back. And he played phenomenal. Um, Nathan Harriel has played well enough where he's getting looks from the USU 23 side that's preparing for the Olympics. That's a, a huge, huge thing. and something that plays into this whole web of, of how I get this one big thought. But up top, it's lacking. And there's when Jack Elliott for Alejandro Bedoya is your last-ditch sub to basically rearrange the midfield and get Jose Martinez further forward, because that's your impact sub right now. It says a lot about what this team has failed to do in a roster building situation. Quinn Sullivan has gotten minutes over Chris Donovan and Ty Barabo since the Charlotte game. It's no coincidence. 
Um, it's clear the union don't rate Barabo, uh, that he was a last ditch signing in case of Carranza being sold, which there was a lot of moving parts with the teams that wanted Carranza. I think, you know, if you're a fan of the Bundesliga, you saw about five or six different strikers end up moving spots because Borussia Dortmund bought full crew from, from Bremen and Bremen was the team that wanted to come in and get Carranza. And there was a lot of, a lot of, I guess, panic buying at the end of the window in Germany. And one of the options they were trying to look at was, was Carranza for Werder Bremen. And obviously Olympiacos made the bid that was made public as well. Um, and then, you know, Curtin has mentioned it a few different interested clubs as well. Um, but Barabo was brought in just in case that would happen. Um, but a lot of signs are pointing to happen in the winter. Kelu has been out of form. Yes, he scored um, uh, two games ago, but it's just not clicking in front of goal. Chris Donovan is a good option to have, but not as your number one reserve. It, we, we've called this from the start of the year that the Union are missing that Corey Burke type impact sub. The, the striker that can come in and just raise all sorts of hell for 20 to 30 minutes against a tired defense. They don't have that. They're lacking that, and, and it's showing. Um, they don't even have – it's not a comparison. It's kind of just an example, an El Sino type. Joaquin Torres could be that type of game breaker through the ground, through the middle, playing those balls. But for whatever reason, um, he's not playing. Uh, Ernst Tanner said in his sit-down with us a few weeks ago that he saw an uptick in form from Torres over the last month in training. And then about two weeks later, Jim Curtin was asked specifically about Torres and kind of paraphrasing here, said it was kind of up to the player um, and accountability on that end for uh, performances and training to get to the game. And at that, you know, Jim Curtin's main line is that the play on the field uh, tells you a lot of things. So if we're looking at it from a, a grand roster building perspective, Union have failed Joaquin Torres and they failed to replace Corey Burke with whichever strikers you want to put in there. Quinn Sullivan's done a really good job in the role he's been pushed into. Yep. But essentially, essentially right now, the union are going to the playoffs with two forwards and a hybrid at striker. And then if you get something from one of the other two guys, you're just, you're just really lucky, right? Like that, that's where they're at. And because of that, you see all these draws. Uh, you see a scoreless draw in front of the home fans on, on Saturday. There's booze ringing down. And... When you, when you blow this up to the, the big picture of what is in the Philadelphia Union's best interest, we'll get into the stuff, what is in Kai's best interest in a second, but in the Philadelphia Union's best interest, they sell Julian Carranza in the offseason. Name your number, whatever. I think they could, they could probably fetch up to $10 million. Like if we're being honest for his age, nationality, and a big part of that is going to be what the sell-on fee is. Because if, if he's if 23... Argentinian and he scores double digit goals somewhere on his next stop. The sell on fee is going to be the, the big, the big money maker for the union. So that that's a whole other conversation for another day. So if you're assuming Carranza is gone in the winter, which I think it would take a miracle for them to bring him back. Yep. You're starting the 2024 season, assuming everyone comes back 
with Ua, Barabo, Donovan, Sullivan as your forwards. And Sullivan's really a winger. He's not a forward. But no, no, yeah. There. I agree. He got thrown up there in preseason. He's admitted his best position. He'd rather prefer a midfield. Um, can he make it work on the right side of the diamond? Maybe, but he's in that weird middle ground. So now if you blow it up to what the union could spend and what they're doing within their constraints, if you want to call it that, why would it make sense for a team to spend, to give a left back a raise of, let's say it's 300K? Let's just like let's just say one million the number. We don't know for sure, but if we're talking the threshold of of what Kai Wagner wants in Rays, it's probably around that. You're not paying that because you want to go out and have as much money as possible to load up on Fords. Because at the end of the day, in a game like that against Nashville SC, a team you could see in the playoffs, the way you win those games is with strikers who score goals. Yes, you can make the argument that a left back who provides a ton of service helps you score those goals. But he's not the one scoring the goals. It's the Carranza, the Ua, Gazdag. Those guys need to score the goals. And if the goals aren't coming, for whatever reason, and if some of the goals are taken away with the Carranza sale, you have to go out in the market and put as many as much of your resources forward to the striker. Yeah, position. almost more than they ever have. I mean, they they right. they have tried and they have, you know, I I I will admit they they've put up some, you know, significant dollars, not to say they haven't tried, but I mean, this is you're right, they have to make more of an effort than they ever have to do this. Right. So now you look at and this is where this whole uh, it, trying to like paint it all together to make it seem like why this makes so much sense. Um, the Kai Wagner situation, I agree with the fans on the point where it kind of shows that the club is cheap. You know, they're one of their best performers over the last handful of seasons and that he, he deserves a raise. And I'm all for the player going out and saying, I demand a raise. This club deserves, you know, this club should spend more. Everything that Kai Wagner has come out and said is right. But if the club's not going to increase their spending limit or the league's not going to force a a spending limit or a spending increase with whatever mechanisms, you know, I hear people say all the time, well, something could change in the off season. It could, but we don't know that. You know, we're operating under a bunch of what ifs with potential roster mechanisms and, and all that stuff. And let's be honest, like, at the end of the day, the, the argument is the club should spend more. And I 100% agree with that. But if you're analyzing it within the spectrum of this is the box the union are in, they can't afford to spend that money on Wagner because every penny will count when it comes to a striker. And I know the fan sentiment is just clear-cut pay Kai Wagner. I wish it was that easy. Right, right, and I, I wish it was too. I guess what what the tough part is is he is the union have had this identity, you know, this defensive right. identity with them. It's led them to, 
you know, some really great places. It led them to a supporter shield. It led them to uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and it led them to an MLS Cup appearance and almost winning an MLS Cup. So I guess I, to me, you know, I think you're right. Like I'm not going to argue, but you know, it is it is a little tough to just move on from somebody that has been the fa- one of the foundations of your identity that has led to so much success, and just letting him walk because you know you might be a little cheap, might not want to put up that money. Right. And so I think it's also important to to point out here, and I think so Taylor Twelman tweeted this, um, confirmed at least part of what we already knew, is the union or the union or the MLS team that can pay Kai Wagner the most money because of what's written into the CBA on how much a free agent can increase his salary if he signs as a free agent to a different team. Now, Twelman reported that there's three teams that would automatically make an offer for Kai, would not be surprised. By the way, I don't want to... That's wanna, the thing. There is a team that's going to make an offer, right? Like, right. I, I would assume so. But okay. I don't think... Don't automatically say Cincinnati. Okay. Because here, here's what I'll say with Cincinnati. Yes, the connections are obvious. He's very good friends with Sergio Santos. Um, Chris Albright and Pat Noonan are there. It, it feels like a natural fit, right? Well, if you're Cincinnati and you spend way more than the union do, and you sell your left back, Barry Al, for however money, millions of dollars or whatever the fee ends up being... Who says that you have to replace your left back with an MLS? Like with their spending ambitions, they could go out and get somebody else. Like I, I feel like it's because of Cincinnati's connections. I feel like that's kind of the, the obvious answer. But if you're a team that's further down the, the ranks in, in MLS, I think I feel like those teams would be more willing to pay for Wagner's services because they need an impact player. It's kind of like Cincinnati doesn't necessarily need that type of player because they already have plenty of them strewn across the roster. Whereas a Colorado, a Toronto, what you know, whatever name your struggling team in MLS, they need to make drastic changes. They're gonna have they're gonna have regime changes. And one of the things you can do is build up your roster with established MLS players, whether it be through free agency, um, trades, whatever, whatever it may be. So I feel like that might be more of the market we see for him within the league, but it all comes back to the union can only, the union of the team that can pay him the most. Yep. So is, is Europe really the end goal? Like, and, and does he have landing spots set up for that when the season ends? Who knows? But if, if you're the union, and now this is where it goes back to the, the club side. So Malfort, Kai, demanding what he deserves because put yourselves in the shoes of an athlete. If you're his age and this is your your window to take advantage oh, of. Oh, absolutely. Take it, yes, played, he should be asking you, for every, every single penny asking, he deserves. Yes. Right, because who knows what could happen next year. We, how many cases have we seen where guys have career seasons and either dip off in form or an injury affects them and they can't perform to their best abilities. Like you have to take care of your future. So I'm all for Kai asking for as much money as possible. I'm just kind of analyzing it through the lens of, of all angles here. And it goes back to the union. You're the Philadelphia union and your ethos is development. And this is something that Ernst Tanner landed on, you know, in this, interview with a few of us did with him a few weeks ago 
if development is your your ethos here, look at the the key contributors to this squad. Andre Blake, MLS number one draft pick, developed throughout the organization. Nathan Harriel, homegrown defender, has now developed into a guy that can play left, right, uh, and and center back in a back three, and has now been on the radar of the U.S. Olympic team. Big step up. That's a development thing. Ding, ding, ding. Olivier Baizo, development. Jack Elliott, <laughs> around Super Jack. I know where you're getting at here. Development. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many more examples? Jack McGlynn. You know, there are so many, so many examples of guys that have turned into first team starters through this development ethos. Right. But, on top of like adding more players. But think of think of all the positions that you just in the in the group of players that you just mentioned. Like it's all right. they're really good at at creating defenders and you know, left mm-hmm. backs, right backs, center backs, midfielders. You know, they they have done an excellent job at that. What's the homegrown position that's been the toughest for them? Ford. So yeah, I I, so I kind of agree with you. Like, play to your strengths. Trust your trust the fact that you've been able to develop, you know, all of these great defenders and your great backline, and you know, try and spend all the money in the one area that's been your Achilles heel and that you just right. haven't been able to. So yeah, I mean, I man, I I completely get that. Looking from it from a practicality perspective, yeah, you could probably you, you're not creating another Kai Wagner because Kai Wagner's fantastic like well, that's, let's, that's let's, but let's, it's you you can though, you've done so. so well at this and i guess right. your system works so well that you know you can you can trust yourselves here and if you, the union wanted to really be like the the fu bad guy in this spot they could be like well we created kai Wagner because they pulled him from the third division in germany you know found his his talent and we're like we'll take a shot on you and developed him into this almost million dollar player. If you're the union, now this I'm not saying this is their exact response to this, but if you internally look at, at what you've developed, at the start of the, the Ernst Tanner era, Casper Shabilko comes from obscurity. You take a chance on him and you basically rob the Chicago Fire of a million dollars. Because everybody saw that that coming, and they sold him at his peak. Jamiro Montero, a little bit different because he's still a solid MLS player with San Jose, but you kind of reached the peak with him. With with Wagner, it's a very it's a very different case than those two because I still believe he has plenty more to give, and he can still be very productive. But you have to measure like what is that that long-term viability with him, or can you develop a guy? And I'll give you an example. I'm not saying this is their exact strategy, but look at Nathan Harrell. Now that he's played across the defense, if, and, and Baizo, it sounds like, sounds like the transfer request got cooled down a little bit. I don't know. We'll get an update on that in, in the off season, but if Baizo stays and plays right back, Harrell is going to need to play. Who says they can't go to Nathan Harrell in the end of end of your meeting and say, "Hey, you bring everything we want defensively. Spend the off season specifically working on your attacking abilities. Come back to preseason, and let's see how much progress you've made." It's almost similar to saying Jack McLinn last off season, "Hey, 
we know how good your left foot is. We know how much you bring offensively. But go work on your defensive capabilities if you want to be that guy that takes the next step to Europe. And what has McGlynn done? He's, he's been excellent in a handful of games defensively. Like his positioning is sound, and we know the soccer IQ is there. And I'm not saying that's the plan because he's, he's right-footed and you still want a natural left-footed player left back. But it just feels like the union maybe have more confidence in their ability to develop a defender than they do to develop attacking players. And if that's the case, you need to put all of your transfer kitty at the, at the forwards. You can't, even if it is 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 extra dollars at Kai Wagner within these spending constraints, you can't do it. Like they've made two offers for him already. I just don't know what the numbers were, but they're clearly both sides are off. I don't know. I, I don't know where this all ends. Um, Jim Curtin providing optimism about it, being asked about it on Friday. I don't know. Is there a, a situation where Kai comes back at a, with a raise and everybody is, is happy? Sure. But the, the posturing being done doesn't feel like that deal gets done. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah, it's, the, it's almost to the point where, where Kai just has to like, and it's an unfortunate thing to say or make, but like just make that hard decision of no, I'm not coming back. Right. You know what I mean? Just to just to make that point. Uh, and, you know, maybe he does get paid, maybe he doesn't. But, you know, I, I think it's it unfortunately has to be a pretty strong stance from him. And that yeah. usually includes moving on somewhere else. Because there's already a strong stance from the organization. Yeah, right. Right. And I and look, that's the hard reality of this where yes, he's been incredible for you. He's he's a best eleven left back. But from talking to a few people about it, I've tried to get like different opinions on you know from different spots within out the organization. And it truly is like a mixed response. Like it's it's either yes, you should pay one of your best players and and the franchise should stop being cheap. Or it's, no, there's a certain cap you should pay your left back because the left back can only do so much for you in games. I don't want to, like, make it the equivalent of the running back in football because I feel like that's a I know, a that's, poor, a, right, that's an easy... It's a, poor, cheap, com- it's a yeah. poor comparison to make because it's it's a totally different sport and yes, a totally different type of situation. But it, it almost feels that way, where there's only a certain value this goes up to at said position... And either that the player has to accept that, and we saw that in the NFL where all the running backs were like, fine, we'll just take one-year deals to play. Um, or the player makes the chance to bet on himself. Like that's it's kind of what it feels like right now. It's either the he accepts that whatever final offer it is, and, and who knows? Like there's two months, basically. Uh, teams within MLS, they, they released the, the off-season dates today. December 13th is the day where MLS teams can engage with free agents. So that's kind of the, I guess, the hard point of where if the union don't have that final offer in or don't improve their offer, maybe that's the point of no return and say, look, in, in two months, if you don't come back with another offer, if, if another offer even gets considered from the players camp, you know, it could be, it could be a point of no return already because of, of what we've seen the messaging from Kai and which by the way, he puts himself 
in a win-win situation by doing all this publicly. Yes. Yes, it may seem it may seem tiresome to to some people, but he's he's putting the organization on notice, and he's saying, "Look, I've meant so much to this team since I've gotten here. The fans love me. I want to be here. That's the key point of this messaging. He wants to be here. That this he loves the city. His family loves the city. Like he doesn't want to leave, but he also wants to be paid what he thinks he should be paid. So if he comes back." It's the union did the right thing. They finally caved. And in a way, the union come out as the loser because they drew this hard line in the sand and maybe they caved. If he leaves, obviously the fan sentiment is on Kai's side. So like, I, I, he has nothing to lose by going out in, in public and, and making these comments and making it so public that he's you know, Saturday was his last regular season game. He walked out in the pitch with his two sons. Like that seems like some pretty hard messaging that he's out. So good on him for, and I I don't think we've ever had a player challenge the organization as much as he has publicly, maybe internally there have been plenty of times where like players are are at odds with what their value is and and everything like that. I, you know, but this is a weird one where everybody else in this core has gotten some sort of contract extension or has a long-term deal in place. And he's the last piece of the puzzle to the long-term deals and and all this stuff, guys that could be here for the next five years and help win some, some titles as the core. So that's, that's where we're at. I, I, it's a very complicated web to untangle it's not as cut and dry as saying pay him because this this team and their constraints and their ideals don't exactly align with that and i'm not saying it's i don't think it's just a, a union thing like i think there's certain teams out there that will spend regardless for the best players but there's also teams out there that will see left back know there's like a, a, a spending cap at that position just from like a belief standpoint. The one thing that everybody probably should have been focusing on more was, well, who's exactly going to score the Yeah. Because you can play, you can play incredible defense. You can play great in midfield. You can create all these opportunities, but if you don't have the guys to score the goals, you're going to be stuck in the rut that the union have been stuck in over the last month and a half where you have all these draws and it builds up frustration. And we're at a point where they're in third place in the Eastern conference, 55 points, one point away from having the second most regular season points in a full season. And no one's happy. No, no one is happy. And I look, I, I think you, you're making the, the, the most practical, reasonable point here in that, you know they they have options here, you know to to fill Kai Wagner. You know they that they've done excellent job at this over and over again, and there seems to be a replacement already waiting in the wings. You know you're you're paying Kai Wagner just as a luxury and somebody to keep around. And you know I, I imagine he's got to be a good locker room guy. You know all the things that usually you would want for an organization like this. But the union have a lot of those guys. The union can fill. Kai Wagner spot, but I, I think you're right. It's just the union have this glaring weakness. 
I mean, it's it's right. huge, and it's the one thing. You know, I said that because you know Kai Wagner and the foundation they've laid with him and the other uh, center backs, right backs, and obviously Andre Blake, that that has taken them to to places they've never been before. Like, that really has. And that is something I think that is commendable and something that you do, you know, you you give Kai Wagner some some credit for and responsibility for. But the reason why you haven't won the thing yet is because you're missing something very important. And that striker. You're missing the superstar. You're missing the superstar. And now they now more than ever, because you, you know, laying out the things with Carranza and, you know, some of the, the changes that are going to be made in the offseason, uh, just because of, you know, how good the union have been and these players are going to to be in other places, especially Carranza, that you this is I mean, now more than ever, you have to get it. And especially yeah. when you look around the rest of the league and there's a team in your conference that I don't know has Messi and you gotta figure things out. I mean, you're never going to counter that type of move, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 an emphasis, I think, more than ever for the union. Make that move, and unfortunately, and what, making that move means you you probably you know, yeah you have to make some sacrifices and hard cuts, and, and it's unfortunate that it just happens to be Kai Wagner who is, I mean, has been an important piece for the union. Players on this team for how many years now? Like it, it's so it's so clear how important he is to the team. But if you look at what they did, they when they invested after the Aronson sale, pretty well, in the in last year, and now they've gone through some some rough patches. But when you have those those rough patches, you need to be able to have that depth behind them, to support them, because that's what was so good about last year is when Corey Burke was healthy and on the field, he was able to make that input impact and scored a handful of important goals. Right now, they don't have that. And without that, like they have the depth in, in defense because they have the three center backs. They have two starting caliber right backs, which any team would kill for. Uh, they have the best 11 left back. The midfield, when at its healthiest, can be one of the deepest units in all of MLS. Now, the answer you have to, the question you have to answer in midfield is do you bring Andres Perea back? for 2023, which it sounds like the door is is still wide open. And I think that comes with a Bedoya decision. I think that comes hand in hand, but that's something we'll get to in the offseason. And then at Ford, like, it's clear they took a step back at Ford this year overall. And we, we talked about this in, in February and March as an issue. And now it's rearing its head at the most important time of the season. So when you're playing Nashville SC, say this is it's a potential playoff matchup. You're playing Nashville. Three games in a quarterfinal round are going to look exactly like that. Yep. What you saw on Saturday. Gosh, it's going to be, be ugly. It's going to be boring as hell. Yes. There's going to be a ton of de- great defense played. And it's going to come down to one or two moments. And if your starting strikers cannot come up, come up with that one or two moment, you need somebody off the bench to make that impact. And they don't have that. And the, sa- and the same thing applies to what happens if if Atlanta's attack goes off and they score two or three on you and they take a game and they put you under all sorts of pressure in game three uh, or even in game two, like what happens then? <laughs> like it, every matchup they have potentially in this, in this best of three, which is total BS in the first place um, in, in a best of three series, a lot of things can happen. Um 
and, and if you're playing car crash soccer <laughs> with with Nashville for three for three games uh, and nothing gets decided, you need a game breaker. If Atlanta is going to try and score a ton of goals against you, you still need a game breaker. If it's New England, you, you've seen each other so many times, you still need a game breaker. Like it, every matchup comes down to who's your X factor. Now, is that Julian Carranza? Probably it's going to have to be for one of those game breakers, but there's a very steep drop off after that. And that's what should terrify Union fans about any long playoff run. So you're concerned about a long playoff run? I think everybody is. I mean, is it is it just that so they they just don't have it this year? Um, what is it? What is it right now that's that's holding them back? Because yeah, it's just. I mean, that's that's my simple just you know way of putting it is that they just look like they don't have it in the same way last year, and mm-hmm. all the things that happened last year, you know, most have regressed um, from last year's performance when they were breaking you know club records and league records. But now this season, it just doesn't seem like they have that same same energy, same uh, same type of play, same level of play, and you know it's probably just it's not their year. Like I think it's just one of the easiest ways I could put it. But with you uh, diving a little bit deeper into it, why isn't it their year? Like what is what is happening that's just not working in the same way it has? It's remarkable to say that about a fifty-five point team. By the way, I know right. I it one hundred percent is. I I get that. Yeah. Like I, I take all of the all the criticisms are like completely, completely justified, and then I come back to the realization that we're talking about a team that is in the top four in the Eastern Conference, yeah, and is probably going to be probably going to finish either third or fourth in the Eastern Conference, and yet it, the the sky is falling. It it really is, it really is remarkable, and in, in any which way you look at it, it's remarkable that this team's been able to get to this point. Uh, playing so many damn games, um, and and the injuries are starting to pile up. Uh, who knows the impact Leon Flock is going to make? Hopefully, Jacob Glesnick's groin holds up for the next two months. Um, I would foresee some type of surgery for both, um, based off of what we've heard in terms of pain tolerance. Um, it, well, the one thing I'll say is, if you're if you're the optimist in the group, which I know is hard to find in a group of Philadelphia fans. Um, in most years, and I'm talking about all sports, um, take that first half against Atlanta United. That's the union. Yep. Take you can. Take, I know. I felt so good about that. <laughs> right. You could take. You could take so many like forty-five minute stretches, thirty-minute stretches, and piece them together over the last two months, and be like, "Oh wow, this is this is us. This is our identity." Like. It's something to be hopeful for. The problem is, it's just not showing up in any level of consistency. And there's a problem with coming out of halftime sluggish that I think is just a mentality thing because it's it's really it's like we had a few times it almost cost them in the Atlanta game. Um, but then you look at you look at the way that Damian Lowe performed against Nashville. Every time Hani Mukhtar makes that run down the right side, Damian Lowe's there to meet him. Like, he rarely put a step wrong. You're like, well, with that defense, with Lowe, Elliott, and Glesnes, who's scoring on us if you're a fan and, and watching that game? You know what I mean? Like, there, there's, 
yes, there's issues within this team, but we talked about it I don't know, a month or two ago. The ceiling is still where it was last year. It's just the floor is clo- you know is, has fallen out. The, the floor they had last year was very high. This year, it's it's remarkably lower because of the, the mistakes and inconsistencies, and whether that comes from all the the volume of games, and that's the main culprit. I would lead to believe that's the case, but it, if they go to New England and beat New England, you're in third place. You can't choose your opponents here like they're doing on MLS Next Pro, which I think is a, an incredible idea, by the way. Um, you can't choose who you play. The bracket, if if you play that game where you're like, well, we only got one point, we're going to play Atlanta or, or whoever you play, like it becomes really tricky and it, you lose mentality and you lose focus and it becomes a really tricky proposition for morale going into the playoffs. So you go into New England, you try to win, secure the three seed, and then whatever comes with it comes with it. If you do that, 58 points, third place, you have a home playoff game to start off a best of three series on full rest. Who knows where, where this could take you? And I think that's kind of where the the door gets cracked open with optimism because it's it's still there. Um, no one's naive to the mistakes and the bad form that, that some of these games have produced, but it's it's still there. They can still play the hits. It's just they haven't played the hits as much. They're playing like they're their album where they tried a bunch of new sounds and, and no one likes. So you don't sound too optimistic here. I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know how to feel. Like, I think I'm naturally more of an optimist. So I would say if you look at what their best level is, it's right. It, it still is up there. It still is a top tier of right. MLS play that they can reach. It's just, yeah, I've, I don't know. I've, I, they have had so much trouble reaching that over and over again, and I can see the glimpses, but the glimpses aren't good enough for me. You know what? Right. And look, this could be. I mean, just like you just said, a car crash type of playoffs where the union are just playing these low scoring games. They end up in all of these, you know, penalty kick type of deciding games, and they you don't end want up to be winning. involved in penalty kicks. By the way, what's that? You don't want to be involved in PKs. You don't, but I mean that's that's just what they or they come away with some random uh, Jacob Glesnes goal like they he did against the Red Bulls and you win one nothing. You know, it's just, I mean the Union can win these games ugly and it's to the point where you know if, if the ball bounces their way enough that they they can have a deep playoff run, but it's expecting a lot. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say about them compared to the let's let's just say the top seven teams. In the East, let's assume that because Miami's out, the eight nine, the eight nine winner ends up playing Cincinnati, and Cincinnati wins that series. The one advantage the Union have over all of the teams in that top seven is experience in the postseason, in the Champions League, in one-off elimination games as a group together. Other teams may have that individually from other teams. Or you know playoff experience from other years, but if you look at just pure experience and who's which squad as a whole is most battle tested together, the answer is very clearly the Union because of so many big games they've played together. So there, there's your 
I guess, positive spin on where they stand is a switch could flip starting on decision day. And they're just like, okay, we're still the Philadelphia Union. We can play with anyone. And they've proven through even this year, they can play with a lot of teams. And that's where it stands. Also, for what it's worth, a win on decision day. And I believe any type of slip up from St. Louis allows them to, if they get to MLS Cup, they host it. Um, that's also something that um, needs to be said on the line. But I think, I think the transition into like the playoff matchups, because I know I had a few people ask you know, what the ideal first and second round matchups were, would be. Um, I think that's all dependent on what happens between Nashville and New England on Saturday, right? Because if you look at the standings, New England is sitting, what, 52 points, Nashville 46. So it doesn't take a doesn't take a genius to say any Union fan should be rooting for Nashville. And you would assume they win that home game. So that puts them on, on 49. So let's operate under – let's operate under that – scenario for a second so that would give us union 55 columbus 54 revs 52 atlanta 50 and nashville 56 and in that instance if the union if the union did not get a point they would have fourth place because they have more wins than it would be on level it over. If the Revs beat the Union, mm-hmm. they would both be on 55 points, assuming the Revs lose to Nashville. This is, this is all under the assumption of Nashville beating New England. Then the Union would have the goal differential tiebreak. They'd be even on 15 wins, and they would go in plus five or, or probably even one or two more over New England because of a loss to Nashville. So you would think the Union wouldn't lose by multiple goals if three or four against New England. So a top five, sorry, a top four spot is there. Um, now, if New England beats Nashville, then it becomes a little precarious. You, you ha- it's basically a, a must-win game to make sure you stay in front of, of everyone and, and don't let the math take over. A draw becomes pretty complicated. Because uh, you would be on 56, Columbus would win the 57, and if New England would still have the goal differential. So a draw in New England probably does the trick for top four. I'll take it. Because it just that, that goal differential being plus five going into this weekend is a big one. And Atlanta... The only, the only teams that Atlanta can't jump and Nashville can't jump the Union. The only the only teams that could jump the Union are New England and Columbus. And that has to give you like a little bit of security, knowing you only have to worry about what two teams do and that one team is a team you're playing. And Columbus is at home against Montreal, who's going to be fighting for the eight seeds. That's going to be interesting. Um, games of note for that would be Atlanta at Cincy, Nashville hosting the Red Bulls, which you assume they win, uh, and then and Rebs Union, which I think is probably going to end up being what the most important game on Decision Day in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, uh, looks like it. Yeah, so 
Uh, it just it feels like it's still all in front of them. Yes, the two seed is out of reach, but now you're basically just saying, well, we have to win a one-off in Orlando, and we had to win a one-off in Cincinnati most likely anyway. Those are places you can win if you play at your best. It still needs a, a complete performance, but there are places you can win. So I think the if you were to ask me right now, which I know someone did on Twitter, what's the the worst possible first round matchup is is probably Nashville. Because that's gonna be boring soccer. It's gonna be zero 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 for three games. And <laughs> so so be it. Like that's just kind of how, how these those games are gonna end. Um the best possible, I think, is the Revs. It's not going to be pretty soccer either, but if you're giving, if you were to give someone the the chance between, the chance to choose between New England, Atlanta, and Nashville, I mean, you're taking New England all day. I was about to say, is that is that also kind of what helps the Union here? Is like I don't look at the Eastern Conference as a gauntlet. It's just a bunch of teams that are kind of grouped together, unless. You know, Cincinnati has widened the gap enough for you, but I don't know if it has for me. Like, I think it's a beatable team. I've used this example uh, probably too many times yeah. when talking to people. Is that Cincinnati really does give off the union feel of a few years ago where, hey, now they've reached the, this pinnacle. Now, of course, in 2020, it's different because the Revs came in here and then they played for like the eighth time. <laughs> and, the, and eventually the Revs were going to get them. Um, so that's different, but it feels like that, that Cincinnati's made that step to supporter shield winner, but now can they make that step to MLS cup winner? Can they rally around each other and have that and make up for that lack of experience in playoff games when they're the hunted, when the target is on their back, that's going to be very interesting to see how Cincinnati deals with that, um, and again, if you're the union and you you value your experience and you're, the majority of your full squad is healthy, you can give Cincinnati a first shake. They did at home. And that, the road game in between Champions League doesn't mean anything. A, because it was in between Champions League, but be so early in the season. Um, and I think you can, you can play a level match with Orlando as well. And if it's in a one-off and your difference makers are actually – your difference makers, then yeah, it becomes a completely different story. But it's going to be, I'm not, I'm not going to say they're completely outmatched by anybody in the East. Yeah. But, I agree. but they have to play their full potential. Yes. They get in their own way. I, I think, right. is that the way of putting it? They've been getting in their own way this season. And that's, that's, that's a potential downfall when it comes to the playoffs. Absolutely. They've been getting in their way with the on field stuff. Let's be honest, they got in their own way with live up to, to their potential. All right, Joe. Well, it seems like this is a good place to stop. Uh, decision Day. Do you want to put anything out there for the people and what we might be doing for Decision Day? Yeah. Um, I don't want to say root against the Phillies. That would be pretty nice. Don't you don't you even dare. Don't you dare. But, uh, but th- we, there are, are talks. Um, I will not be going to Foxborough. I, I will be traveling the entire entirety of the postseason. Um, but we are working on doing pregame and postgame, if everything lines up, for the New England game 
and not just your run of the mill half an hour post game. This will be uh, the we'll do the damn thing. We look, we will do the damn thing. Yes, um, we still got it. These these old dogs in the podcast game uh, can still go after it for an hour with the, the best of the best, and that's what we're gonna do. Because um, that's what I think. That's just how we we know what we're capable of. And um, I kind of sound like talking about the the union right now. Like, oh, let's play it, live up to our best performances, right? Let's do it. <laughs> but yeah, the decision day. If everything lines up. Uh, you will get the the old, let's say old school because we just did it last year, but you will get the old school type pregame and postgame show uh, from the two of us. Maybe we'll drag Sean Brace into doing something on a Saturday. Um, but if everything lines up, if there's no, if the Phillies NLCS, if they get there, doesn't interfere with with match time, we will absolutely try and uh, put all our resources towards a, uh, a decision day spectacular because that's a, uh, It'll be a big one, no matter what happens with oh, yeah. England and Nashville. Completely agree. All right, that is it for the Union Soccer Podcast. One more match in the regular season left, then we are Finally. on to the playoffs. Yeah, you and me both. What a dumb <laughs> MLS season. What an absolutely dumb, stupid, ridiculous MLS season. MLS is dumb. Oh, all right. But as you heard, yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be out there hopefully doing some stuff for Decision Day here on the Union Soccer Pod and on our socials as well. So follow Joe at JTansy90, UnionTuckerBlog.substack.com. You can follow me, John Jansen, at JJansen34. We'll be back with more Union Tucker coverage next time on the Union Soccer Podcast.